0: Welcome to the Pirate's Eye podcast, produced by the Seton Hall Alumni Engagement and Philanthropy Department. I'm your host, Bianca Velez, fellow pirate of the class of 2010. And each month, I'll be sitting down with an alumnus to chat about their career, their life journey, and the role that Seton Hall played in getting them where they are today, or continues to play. Legendary comedians, Bernie Mac, Dave Chappelle, Chris Tucker, Bill Bellamy, and so many others have an early career common thread that contributed to their paramount successes. That thread is Seton Hall alumnus Bob Sumner. Bob, class of 1984 graduate, served as the co-creator of HBO's Deaf Comedy Jam, which gave so many up-and-coming comedians a platform to make a name for themselves. But how did Bob become this influential figure in the world of comedy and broadcast entertainment? Take a listen to this episode, in which Bob shares with us how large of a role his days in Seton Hall's EOP summer program, WSOU radio station, and Black Student Union played in getting him to where he is today. Bob Sumner, welcome to the show. I am so excited to have you on. How are you?
1: I'm great. Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> now, folks folks know the name. Folks in the Seton Hall community know the name. Folks outside of the Seton Hall community know the name. And I really want to get into all that is your career, all that is your career in media and comedy and broadcasting, but I want to start at the source. I want to start at the Seton Hall story because funny enough, you didn't come into Seton Hall going in that direction necessarily. You came into Seton Hall um, with your eye on education. Is that right? Tell me a little bit about that, about your initial startings at Seton Hall.
1: You hear me over here laughing, right? (laughs) Yes, I I most definitely came into Seton Hall um, looking to become the uh, number one educator in the country. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, really, I I I came up with some great educators, and during my elementary school time in in Roselle, New Jersey. And there was one um, teacher in particular, my second grade teacher, her name was Edith Maynard and rest in peace. Um, I will never forget when um, I had her class, she just was such a big inspiration in terms of me um, knowing who I am and I can become somebody. And that's back in the day when um, Jesse Jackson had this slogan, I am somebody. And, you know, she would put these um, cards up around the the classroom with these influential Black figures, and it would have their birth dates and everything. And I saw where Rosa Parks and Jackie Robinson, their birthdays, was around the same time as mine. So all, all of that stuff used to stay with me on top of you know, being, I started out, I was always like an A student. Mm-hmm. And even, you know, in second grade when I would get A's, you know, she would like give us little like trinkets and stuff for getting, you know, grades like mm-hmm. that. So it was always that push, push, push. And I figured as, you know, I, I went on, you know, through, you know, the other grades, and then, you know, on to high school and everything. I always had that in me and I always wanted to be that one to bring the next kid up. You know what right. I'm saying? So, What right. better way than enter Seton Hall University as an education major and become a teacher?
0: And then that's not exactly how it went, right? So like, <laughs> we know you didn't, you didn't go on to become a teacher. Well, we could call you a teacher in so many ways, right? But It almost did. Yeah. You didn't go on to become a a traditional teacher all the way through. So how did that switch start to happen? Like what what happened there? How did you end up changing to communication?
1: Well, well, the story goes like this of Bianca. The story goes (laughs) like this. I entered Seton Hall University freshman first semester, Mm -hmm. not knowing that they were going to throw me right out there in into a classroom as a student teacher, right <laughs> off the bat. Now, I'm 18 years old, okay? The
0: training wheels off.
1: And, I, and I'm going in here, and they actually um, say that they're going to put me in an eighth grade class, okay? An eighth grade class as a student teacher at 18 years old.
0: That's not easy.
1: The ki- the kids, some of them were 14,
0: Right. you
1: know, so it was like kind of like, I don't know if I could really handle this, but it, there's not much I can say about it because who am I to say change my class or anything, but it got to a point where I said to myself, Maybe I this isn't what I need to be doing. And I can I can be a teacher a whole nother way once I get enough credits to become a substitute, you know, back home or whatever the case may be, which eventually happened. But at the same time, um, I was kind of like in between. And I, I, I think I should have really c- uh, come into school undecided because they give you that that decision to, you know, come undecided if you want. But I was kind of into wanting to be a teacher, but then after that, all of that happened, it was time for me to um, switch, switch up, and and go into something else I wanted to do because I always loved music, and I knew that WSOU was at Seton Hall University, really? and there was some uh, um, a, a gentleman who attended Seton Hall University. He became a, a chiropractor. Dr. Alfred Davis, uh, rest in peace. Uh, He just recently passed away. But he actually was on the radio. And I was like, wow, because they had a thing called Focus on Black Pride at WSOU on Friday nights. It was like black programming. And there was Alfred on there. And he was like maybe five years older than me. So it was like, wow, maybe I can do that. And I was actually going to uh, go to a um, HBCU coming out of uh, Roselle High School. I played ball and I had been down in Alabama where my brother was stationed in the Air Force. And I had played some ball during the summer down there. And I was like, you know what? I might be able to come down here and do a little something. Mm -hmm. And um, I came back up, up to New Jersey and my father told me that there might be an opportunity to get into Seton Hall. And I was like, wow, that radio station thing came to mind as well as being a teacher. So, you know, that was that. And
0: And when you came into Seton Hall, uh, you actually came in a little earlier than than September. You went into the EOP program, right?
1: Most definitely. I came into Seton Hall a week after graduating high school. Wow. we went on a retreat. We <laughs> we went on a retreat, and it was like wow. Like we we came in on that Sunday, we dropped our bags, and we was on a bus, and we were bonded. That's what it was. We went on a bonding retreat, and it, 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 it we bonded to a point where my 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 roommate for that summer became my roommate throughout throughout. Every every oh, wow.
0: For, for yeah. the rest of your time at Seton yeah. Hall. Yeah. Now, how yeah. important, besides that you found your roommate and you kicked it off and you had a, a a roommate and a best friend for at the time that you were at the university, how important would you say that EOP summer program was? If we could imagine your experience at Seton Hall without it, what would that look like? Can you imagine your Seton Hall experience without that first program?
1: The Seton Hall... Experience with that program has lasted to. I just celebrated a birthday uh, on January the 25th, and I produce a a. I have a residency comedy show in Philadelphia at the uh, of a city winery there, and. I'm on stage to greet everyone. And I look down into the audience and the first person I see is one of the first people I met at Seton Hall University during that summer, during that summer. So I don't know if that answered the question, but to me it does. It's (laughs) It's like forever friends. And it right. it's so yeah.
0: many of them. Right. Yeah. It, yeah. it sounds like such an impactful experience that you had at at Seton Hall in that first summer. And also that first year when you get thrown into the classroom with no training wheels on, on your bicycle, just two wheels and full speed ahead. Listen. So now then, then you, you fast forward a little bit and... We start to hear not long after that Bob Sumner on WSOU radio. Is that right? Walk me through how you ended up getting onto the radio and how that shapes pretty much the rest of of your Seton Hall experience and and then on your career. I mean, it
1: was it was it was so much to it, but it's we only have. You know, so much time to talk about. <laughs> but
0: we we still got some time, so we can get it. We can get into some of it.
1: Well, I mean, what 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 happened was when I decided that I was going to go into the um, school of communication. Yeah, I, I really wanted to focus on radio and television.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, what better place than WSOU to get? get my feet wet. Mm -hmm. And even, you know, in in the humanities building over in the School of Arts and Sciences, they had, you know, where you could learn how to do, you know, television um, production as well. So it was like the perfect, you know, situation for me. Plus at Seton Hall, they also had the uh, Center for African-American Studies, Mm -hmm. which remember, I was um, about to go to Tuskegee. So I was able to really like combine everything. And um, I didn't realize that in order to get into WSOU, you had to keep a certain uh, grade point average and everything. It was just like playing on the basketball team. You know what okay. I mean? And yeah. you also had to go through the same process like you was you know, getting a job. It was an interview process and everything. Right. And um, but I was very knowledgeable when it came to music and stuff, because my mom uh, worked at a, a record company, you know, mm-hmm. and, and and which was really cool for them, even, you know, right. and at the same time, um, I have an uncle that's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Wow, so you've
0: always
1: had that musical influence. Yeah, yeah, it's always been in me and my and my brothers, they were in a band and I actually used to have a full band practice in my living room when (laughs) I was a kid growing up. So like music was always my thing. And like I said, I was pretty well educated. So in terms of reading, you know, copy and stuff like that, that was a no-brainer for me. But you know, you still had to go through steps over there. And you know, pass a test and this, that, and the other, get your FCC permit and all that. Mm -hmm. And um, it all worked out for me. And you started over there as an engineer. You know what I mean? You had to learn the board and all that, and I'm I'm engineering cousin Stan Kozakowski's poker party from the Paramus Mall on a Saturday afternoon. <laughs> you know what I mean? Here I am. I just need to be in the library or somewhere hanging out at Orange Park or something, and I'm in that studio next to Walsh Auditorium. You know what right. I mean? And it, right. and it definitely didn't look like what it looked like now. You know what I'm saying? So it's I'm doing up. that, and and even you know sometimes while you know the basketball games used to be right there and the Big East games used to be right there next to the um next to the radio station in the gym oh, wow. right there yeah okay. so i'm trying to watch the game and then knowing i have to get back into the studio because i have to engineer the show that they call hall line Remember Hall a mm-hmm. line everybody mm-hmm. else going to yes. celebrate and ran across the street. You know, we were all, you know, of age, so we could get a beer from Reagan's across the street. Right after the game, everybody going over there and to celebrate. And I have to go into the radio station to engineer till one in the morning. But <laughs> but it was a sacrifice that I had to make. And then I got a chance to be on air doing the news. You know, and that was that was a trip. And and then it led me to getting my own show eventually. And the rest was history.
0: Wow. So how long did you have a a show on WSOU during your time at Seton Hall?
1: The beauty of of having a show at WSOU for me was I actually, the the guy that was in the, you know, had, had the show that I used to engineer, he saw how knowledgeable I was with music. And like I said, my mom for the record company so I was like turning him on to a lot of stuff and he was getting busy on his internship at a commercial station and he was like, hey man, why don't you um do like an hour of my show and then when I graduate you could f- fall right in and mm. I, here I am I was just turning 20 years old wow. you know yeah so I had my own show for like two and a half, three years. Yeah,
0: that's
1: amazing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. that is amazing. Now, yeah. that wasn't the only thing you were involved in, though, at your time at Seton Hall, right? Well, you you got involved in the Black Student Union and a number of other um, number of other activities.
1: You know, it, this is so cool right now. Your interview because it it sounds like you. you're you're getting, like, you know what I'm getting ready to say. (laughs) I Really, because I was going to say that WSOU did so much for me in so many different ways. And two of the ways, um, I'll start with this. By being on the radio and having such a a popular uh, format and, you know, a lot of people right there in the in the Essex County area, Union County, Hudson County. But the station actually, WSOU travels as far as pieces of Connecticut and all over New Jersey and New York. Like it's really, the range is crazy. So what I was able to do was connect with the top promoter, like the concert promoter in the area. His name was Teddy Powell. Okay. And Mr. Powell, he was that guy. And I was watching um, this documentary on Netflix called The Black Godfather. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's the story of um, Clarence Avon. And he was talking about this guy named Teddy Powell when he moved from the South up to Summit, New Jersey with his relatives for a better life. Mm -hmm. He connected with this guy named Teddy Powell. I said, you got to be kidding me. This is the same (laughs) This is the same Teddy Pal, you know. Small world. Yeah, yeah. So I was able to connect with him, and he led me into a place to make the 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 correct um, uh, networking. You know, the the correct stops on you know to meet the right people to get to where I where I am now. And one of them was this very popular um, DJ by the name of Frankie Crocker, mm-hmm. Okay very popular in the New York area. And I never like knew that things like that could happen until that, and that came from SOU, as well as the BSU, the Black Students' Union, which I had gotten heavily involved right out of, when you talk about um, our freshman year and the, and, the, and the closeness of my class that came in that summer, we, we carried it from that summer to first semester, we basically took over the Black Students Union. Mm-hmm. You know, really, we came in as freshmen like we was the seniors, you know? <laughs> I mean, really, anybody will tell you. And it led to us creating different departments within the BSU. And one of them was concerts, right? Mm-hmm. And with the concerts and me being on the radio, I was able to make those nice connections and we had some great shows up there as well as we also built a intramural program that we, we, it brought just a lot of unity amongst us, you know, at at the university and it it gave us an opportunity to interact with everyone else who, you know, you had all the different fraternities and sororities, whether it was the Teaks or the SIG TORs or whoever it was, it was, it was a really good ride.
0: I love that. I love that. I love the sense of community that it sounds like you were not only creating, but also being a part of and enjoying. And the entire sharing with, thing. Yeah. And sharing with other fellow classmates and other communities within the Seaton Hall University. So I I now want to switch gears.
1: SGA, so, RSA. <laughs> yeah,
0: all of those. All of it. Just all building of grudges. It was- Yes. And, and it's an experience that a lot of people can identify with, right? Like I think so many of the alumni that I speak to have these experiences at Seton Hall where they find their niche community, right? They find their, their tribe, they find their little hub of people, yet they have a broader sense of community in that there's so many bridges that are built and so many collaborations between organizations and between communities as well. So it's like you can find your you're tight knit home, but you're also still a part of that bigger umbrella. And,
1: and, and you know, I really when I when I go to these um, Seton Hall basketball games over at the Prudential, uh, Prudential Arena, it, it it's like you feel that love, you feel mm-hmm. that blue and white. I mean, I see the guys from WSOU. I see the guys that used to scream on us when they used to referee the games. <laughs> it's, all, <laughs> and it's all love, man. It's just all love. Yeah.
0: I love that. So now you get, your, you get your feet wet with broadcasting at WSOU. And once you graduate Seton Hall, you start to just really build what ends up being and continues to be an impressive career. Walk me through that. I mean, we all, I know, I know, and I know a lot of people listening know Deaf Comedy Jam. That name rings a bell. We know that title. We know Russell Simmons. And mm-hmm. you're such a big part of that. So walk me through, you know, your career and, and that being one of the highlights. And, and let's hear how did you get into that? And, and what was that like?
1: <laughs> it's so much to it. Um, so much to it. That it, it, it ha- I have to, I have to take you on the, on a, on a piece of the journey. A lot of it will be in my documentary, but um, uh, it, it'll be it'll be a piece of the journey that actually becomes a full circle moment. As you know, um, I'm preparing for this week. I have a a show over at the world famous Apollo Theater where I'm curator of comedy and I do a monthly show inside the uh, soundstage there that we call the Apollo Comedy Club. Mm -hmm. And my career really started at the Apollo as a toddler. (laughs) <laughs> okay because i would um go to the apollo with my parents because my parents fell in love with the apollo because they would always go over to see my uncle perform i mentioned earlier that i had a uh, uncle that was a um in the rock and roll hall of fame uh he was in a group a singing group called the platters and okay. that was like the beginning and my parents would always go, even after my uncle retired and stuff, we would always go over there and we would see like the James Brown review, the Motown review, Al Green, so on and so forth. But at the same time, the, uh, before the show, it would always be a comedian whether it was oh, mom, okay. Yeah, I would see Moms Mabley. I would see Nipsey Russell. I would mm. see Slappy White. I mean, this was crazy. A, a young Richard Pryor. I see. saw all of them, but I'm talking about I'm only five, six years old, but this is something that stayed in me. So mm-hmm. then as I, you know, that, that bug was always in, in me. Of course, my mom working at the record company, my brothers, you know, doing what they were doing. It led me to... When I played ball in high school, I would always give the party after the game and things Mm -hmm. of that nature. So I was always in in that mix. And you know, when I saw that movie Straight Out of Compton, it reminded me of my life when it Mm -hmm. first came on. And Dr. Dre was in that in that um, in his room with the music playing and all that. That was me. You know, Mm -hmm. it was always that type of scene for me. So. It kind of led me to, you know, Seton Hall University. And at Seton Hall University, the same thing was going on with me, you know, getting involved in the concerts and everything. And there was a guy that played in a band at l- in the lunch. They used to have the uh, cafeteria would have bands and stuff playing in there. And it was this one guy who I got kind of stuck on the band. And then I knew a guy from my hometown that was in the band. And one thing led to another, and he got into concert promotion. And when, when um, I graduated from Seton Hall University, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. I started like volunteering working with this guy with concerts and he would always have comedians open up the concerts, you know? So it led me to in 1985, you know, while I was doing my DJing from, you know, the strength of what was going on at WSOU, I always used WSOU as something that I can turn it into a, a a, a great situation for me which it has really turned into now you know but but then I would like have all these comedians you know I would learn who these comedians are and somehow some guy it's always tied back to WSOU there was a guy who called me he was like a fan that he used to listen to my show every Friday night and he says to me he says Bob I have a friend down in Nork who has this restaurant and they're trying to figure out what they want to do with it. Right now, this is now going into, this is 1986. All right. Now the same guy um, who called me, I started doing events with him and that was my first comedy show was on February the 8th, 1985. Okay. Wow. listen. One, I'm one year almost to a day out of Seton Hall University.
0: Right, right.
1: So, so I'm still trying to figure all my life what I'm going to do, and I um, I go down to check out this place, and one of my friends who I came all the way through high school with, he was a drummer, and he was we were on the same mission, just he was doing it on the music um. Um, musician tip, and I was doing it on the DJ, so to speak, tip, we okay. said, we're going to go check out this place. And when we looked at it, we said, ah, maybe we can do something. Let's try it out. And we started doing a live music and comedy room. Nobody knew what we was doing because nobody was doing like a urban comedy. There was never like an urban comedy space. But mm-hmm. going back to 85, that one comedian that I worked with with this production that I did on February the 8th, I knew that he used to always have to go to New York to try to get on stages. So I said, I'm gonna create a situation right here. And it wasn't too much longer that I got a job at Def Jam Records. And they was looking to jump into the television and film stuff because all they had was the movie Crush Groove for the most part. And I got this job over there and one thing led to another. And and that's where Deaf Comedy Jam was built. It's so much more to the story, but it's layers to it all. But WSOU, it touches every layer of my career now.
0: Wow, so foundational. Mm -hmm. Yeah, such a springboard. I think that's amazing. And I think we hear that a lot, right? Like connections. Connections and networking are so important and they are what springboard careers oftentimes, especially when we're talking about a career in this type of industry. So you get the the job, Deaf Comedy Jam, and you're the producer there, is that right?
1: Yes. And what was
0: that experience like for you?
1: Well, the experience was... By already having that head start of knowing, you know, so many comedians say from the underground side of it all. And, and I always say that when you're always, this is the fifth, fifth, 50th anniversary of hip hop. Right, right. And, and with that being said, uh, Deaf Comedy Jam kicked off in, in 1992 is when we first aired. Mm. But prior to that, like I said, in, in 1985 is when I started, you know, producing comedy shows, and it was basically me doing this show and me having uh, um, two turntables as opposed to a piano or a um, a snare drum and a cymbal. You know, and I, I brought that element to comedy. And when I started producing Deaf Comedy Jam, I brought a, com- a, a DJ in by the name of Kid Capri to be my mm. DJ, to be my DJ. So, you know, if you say that, you know, hip hop uh, was born in 1973 with Cool Herc in the Bronx, I would say that hip hop comedy was born in North New Jersey in 1986. Well, I should say, it, yeah, basically that's where it really kicked off at in North New Jersey in 86 with me as a DJ. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. So it, it, it was, it's, it's crazy when you when you when you look at the history and um, along with it came. That that first when, when when I first was putting Def Comedy Jam together, it was really a two show pilot for HBO. And it, turned, and it turned into 104 episodes. Wow. Yeah. And with that being said, you know, I have a new brand now, but I'll touch on, you know, what Deaf Comedy Jam was, was something that we didn't have social media. So you really didn't see what I had done in terms of the blueprint. And it was me really just identifying some of the comedians that I had already been working with on the underground. But at the same time, Going out to some of the cities that I knew, comedy was like pretty like on the, on the come up, mm-hmm. but no one was doing it on the television tip. So mm-hmm. we brought all of the different elements together, and I, you know, had my first few comedians like Dave Chappelle and Bill Bellamy and you know Bernie Mac and these guys. You know, they all came on board with me, and Chris Tucker. You know, the rest was history. Yeah.
0: I mean major names pretty much in the comedy in the world of comedy at what what ends up being major names, which is so fascinating to hear you be part of those early beginnings and now to know that
1: we're talking the
0: Dave Chappelles and the Bernie Max and the Chris Tuckers of the world, you know, that's that's amazing.
1: Yeah, but now I have more of Bob's best. That's what Laugh Mob is, my my next, year, my rising stars that I'm getting ready to unveil in 2023. It's it's a formula to this. So, you know, Cheryl Underwood from The Talk, you know, she drove all the way from California to Orange, New Jersey to perform in front of me. Then you have, mm-hmm. you know, comedians like Monique, you know, mm-hmm. she's, she's won an Oscar, you know, mm-hmm. so... It, it, it's so many that that's come through, you know, my my, I plant these seeds and then the tree just blossoms. <laughs> I, love that. You know? yeah. I
0: love that. So definitely let's talk about where you are now. So we, we know about the deaf comedy jam. We hear these these mega names what end up being mega names that you were working with early on before they actually did become these household names. Now you're on to to different projects. And so talk to me a little bit more about the project that you have going on at the Apollo.
1: Well, I mean it, it it's a little bit more than just the Apollo. The Apollo is one of the um stops as I, you know, I'm into this reset situation which honestly we we I've been at the Apollo since 2015, as well as a couple other rooms. I have a room down in Willingboro, New Jersey, where I normally showcase comedians to look at, so they can get to the Apollo. And my host is actually on tour with Dave Chappelle right now, who's a, he's a rising star by the name of Marshall Brandon. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, no different than I use the Willingboro room to get to the uh, Apollo. That's what the Peppermint was, my room in Jersey. I I had two rooms, Club 88. When I left the Terminal D room, I went to Club 88, and we pretty much outgrew it, and we went to a place that everyone remembers was the legendary um, Peppermint. And I had Bill Bellamy as my host there. And When Bill moved to MTV, I brought in uh, Mike Epps to host. And and, and and with that, you know, it just it's just it's just been an ever-ending, you know, it just keeps going, never it, it just keeps going. So right. what happened now is we've had this pandemic and it's been a it's a shutdown on everything. Right. And I said, wow, this gives me the perfect opportunity to do a reset with comedy because everyone has gotten so comfortable with Looking at funny stuff online, where we forgot about where sitcoms really come from. They come from stand-up comedy, you know, the real-life situations from a Ray Romano, or Kevin James, or Bernie Mac, right. you know, a Jerry Seinfeld. So I'm trying to bring it back to the days where you used to see the house parties and the in, in the uh, uh, it, it's so many of the movies that that we. We had the Friday franchise and all that. Those are all young, fresh comedians that came through my Def Jam, you know, tree. So now I create Laugh Mob, which the acronym is more of Bob's Best. If you go online, you'll see where I've taken stand-up comedy and turned the jokes into recreations. Like you take a song, you take a song and turn it into a music video. I'm taking jokes and turning them into comedy videos as well as we're getting ready to i traveled all over the country Uh, um bianca i went all over the country just like i did in the early 90s and i found the next generation because one day during the pandemic i'm watching ti interview chris tucker then i'm watching shannon sharp interview jb smooth and they're all talking about um, can we bring it back to the golden age and all that? I'm like, I could do it, I could show you better, I could tell you. <laughs> so it was like the perfect timing for me and to you're do like, all that. Yes,
0: this. I will answer the call.
1: Yeah. Then I get a call from um my agent and um LeBron James, um, Spring Hill Production, they're getting ready to do a five-part series uh, called See It Loud, The History of Um Black Television. And they brought me in to talk about my uh, contribution. And again, it all starts with Seton Hall University.
0: Man, I really love this journey. I am feeling so energized because I think it's fascinating to hear from you, kick off this conversation, talking about how you envisioned being the number one educator. And that's not where it went, but you certainly reached incredible heights in your career that did did you imagine you would be able to? I mean, you already had a high standard for yourself with the number one educator piece, but could you have imagined building the career that you've built?
1: Well, here's the thing. Um, the educator part really helped me in terms of getting uh, an opportunity to build this career because when I When I when I when I graduated from Seton Hall University, I didn't just jump right to death jam. You know what I mean? There was levels to this. And I took a job in the corporate world for a minute and saw that that's not really what I wanted to do, because it really felt kind of plantationist, to be Mm. honest with you. And I'm too smart for what I'm looking at right here, knowing that there was something else that I wanted to do. So I had a conversation with one of my uncles, who's like a godfather to me, and he told me to get mm-hmm. this book called What Color is your parachute? Okay. And that's what changed everything. Uh,
0: I know the book because,
1: yes. Okay, because I went from I saw where instead of like how when I was um, you know, taking, you know, break from, from you know, winter break and, 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 and summer breaks or whatever the case may be when we would get out and I would go back to the high school and sub, I said, well, I could be a full-time sub and still work on my career after reading that book, right? Mm-hmm. It was showing me how to do, how to navigate and get to where you have to go. And the um, secretary at the school, who was a great a friend of the family and her son and I were very good friends. She knew what I was trying to do. And it also gave me an opportunity to come back and educate my people. You know what I'm saying? And I also was was the assistant basketball coach. Okay. Mm -hmm. I was being able to do a lot of different things within there. I, I, I was the first one to produce a homecoming pageant for them. I produced a fashion show for them. Like I was doing everything that would lead me into a career, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, I don't even know what else to say about it, but it's it's, it's, it's just like it was levels to getting here, but it yeah. just it didn't come easy.
0: It, right, No, it certainly is building blocks, right? There's building blocks I, and there's consistency. I got my job at Def
1: Jam but through that same mechanism during that time, those years, them 86, 87 years, those years is when I was actually doing jazz at the same time and somebody was trying to book a an act at my place. I didn't have any room, come to find out that I could get them in an, on another gig didn't know that the people who was trying to get um get their act on worked at Death Jam. I'm looking for a place to get Bill Bellamy some 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 stage time. And they tell me that they're looking for an assistant to the president over there. Do I know anybody? Yes, me.
0: I love that. I love that. And I love that you didn't have the self-doubt to get in your way. You put yourself right into that situation that's beautiful
1: it's real it's real that you is know?
0: beautiful yeah. because there's a lot of people who wouldn't have had the confidence to say me
1: okay and and, and 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 the thing is they thought That I was, you know, because I was wearing schoolboys and suits, you know, in ties, it was just the ties I had left over from working the corporate thing. You know what I mean? It wasn't like I was trying to be fancy dancy or anything. And even when I went over for my interview at Def Jam, I was suited and booted. And you know what they told me? They told me to leave the suit home. Did you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. They said, this is hip hop. This is hip hop.
0: I love that. Yeah. So now you talk about giving back. You talking you talk about serving your community. And we certainly know that you've been involved with Seton Hall as an alum as well. Why is that important? I think, you know, it's one thing to come and have a student experience and try to be involved in so many different activities and student work, but it's another thing to do it as an alum as well. And we know you've been you've been pretty involved as an alum. So, why is that important to you?
1: because the, Because they were me. Mm. They were me, you know, And even like whenever I'm at the basketball games or whatever the case may be, I try to hold court with as many of them as I can, you know, And I even saw a kid, I was leaving one of the games and a kid was holding a sign, and I was thinking that he was homeless. And he wasn't homeless. The sign said Save Africana Studies. And I'm mm-hmm. telling you, it brought tears to my eyes because I thought about what Africana Studies did for me. In 1984, they gave me the um Student of the Year, you know. Um, I look at that award and I I, I think of, you know, so much, you know, the Community Service Award or whatever, you know, that's what it was. Okay. Right. And 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 it's because I served my my community. then I never I wasn't in a fraternity because I, you know i was I was in everybody's fraternity as far as I was concerned. You know, we even with the Blacks Union, we brought together a, a a community where we all came together and we had, I forget what we called that actual committee. But it was like all of the different frats, Latino frat, everybody came together because it's so important. And even now, you know, when, when all of the, you know, the basketball guys, they've always been close with me whenever I had like Shaheen used to come to all my shows, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it's like, it's, it's just, a I, I don't know how to explain same thing. I just hosted my, uh, high school's, um, championship dinner, you know, it's like, I just, this is me, you know, and it's always going to be me because, you know, I mean, between everyone at EOP, EOF, well, you know, and, 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 African studies. And, and, and when I look at even Professor Triano from the, over at the art department, right. Dr. Mm-hmm. Triano during the, um, during the uh, pandemic, you know what I did?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, 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 I took a page out of his book and I had bought this, um, canvas for the longest. And I said that I was going to do an abstract painting and hang it up in my living room one day. And sure enough, I went and got me some paint and all this had everything. And I just started going to work. And all I could think of was being in that little red building over there. Or for in Orange, <laughs> you know, so know all exactly of that, building,
0: yes, yeah.
1: I know, I know, and Dr. Peluso and Dr. Allen and McGlone, I mean, everybody, Pritchard and Dr. Miller and Cascone and Sales and, and Miss Knight, she was like my, she was like my auntie for real, like, mm-hmm. it's like, I owe it to them to never forget where I come from. So you know when they gave me that, they gave me an award back in 2018, a Vanguard joint, and I was just like, "So wow, my my work has got, gone, you know they 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 see what I do, and it's it's all about my people."
0: That's beautiful, yeah. mm-hmm. well, Bob. I want to thank you so much for taking the time out to share your journey, to share your love for Seton Hall, to let us know what this road has been like, or to give us a little sneak peek. We'll have to check out a future documentary or a future book and all the good things that you have coming, coming your way. Before, before we go, for folks that are listening of all that we talked about today, what might be one takeaway that you would want them to walk away with from today's episode?
1: You know, I, I, I spent a lot of time at Seton Hall, you know, from the beginning, from, I always had a work study job. I was an OA, you know, I was a tutor. I worked the front desk, you know, I stayed in the bubble over there. They had a place called the bubble, you know, where we would play ball and everything. And, you know, it, it was, it was, it, it meant so much to me and, then there was, you know, the the housing there. You know, I stayed at a place. You know, West Residence was my final um, resting spot there. But there was another place. There was another place that I really, really um, grew up. I was raised in. I became a man, and that was Bowling Hall. My heart, every day, I think of Bowling Hall. You know why? I think anyone listening here who's been there would know why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling right now. Mm -hmm. And when you ask me, is there anything that I want to say, is I just want everybody to stay prayed up, stay prayed up because please live right. You never know what's in store because when Reggie and Daryl and I was living in 420 and that alarm would go off and go off and go off after a while, it was like, man, you know, it's a false alarm.
0: Mm.
1: No, it's never a force of law. I'll leave you with that.
0: Thank you for bringing that. It is so important that we remember and remember those lives that were lost and we honor their memories. So thank you so much, Bob. And thank you for being such a proud alum. Thank you for showing your Seton Hall pride. And we look forward to everything that you still have in store in what is already such an impressive, career journey and life. So we'll be sure to include the links in our show notes for the things that you have going on, the Laugh Mob and your series over at the Apollo. And we of course look forward to hearing about all the other great things that you have going on and seeing you around and Hall's community. Thank you right so on. much. We're going to be touring
1: all over the country. We're going to be touring all over the country, so we're going to be, and, and we'll t- we'll talk some more. We'll talk yeah. some more, okay? Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you for having me.
0: Of course. Bob is one of more than 100,000 alumni who demonstrate what great minds can do with a Seton Hall education. Remember to stay up to date with all of Seton Hall's alumni engagement opportunities and to view recordings of past virtual events that you may have missed, visit www.shu.edu slash hall hub. Share the news of this podcast with your friends. Be sure to follow us on social media at Seton Hall alumni. And of course, if you know of a pirate we should have our eye on, do not hesitate to email us at alumni at shu.edu. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join me for the next episode of the Seton Hall Pirate's Eye Podcast.